Our reading today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 7, from verses 54 all through to verse 60. And it's about the stoning of Stephen. Verses 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to the heaven and saw the glory of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their eyes, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the, at the feet of, of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he, had, when he said this, he fell asleep. Thank you. That's the word of Amen. Thanks. I want to start by telling a story of a guy that I've probably told you about before, and a man named Robert Jermaine Thomas. Uh, Robert Jermaine Thomas uh, lived, uh, was born in South Wales, 1839, and, uh, and you may well know him, but he is uh, remembered in Korea, and I've told this story before, as a man who died to introduce Bibles into that country, died giving Bibles into the country of Korea. Robert was the son of a, a pastor, at a young age, had a real strong desire to be a missionary, uh, and he had a real vision in mind for his future, and he went off to study at the end of his studies, uh, he was ordained as a minister. He fell in love with a woman called Caroline Godfrey. They married. She shared his passion for, to be a missionary, and they went off together to Shanghai under the watchful uh, eye of London Missionary Society. Sadly, Caroline died uh, due to childbirth complications uh, when they were in Shanghai, and Robert, de devastated as he was, took a step back from being a missionary and became a customs officer uh, on the borders of Korea and China. And so, as he lived just near the border of Korea, a country he knew very little about, he met two missionaries, Joseph Edkins and Alexander Williamson of the London Missionary Society and the National Bible Society. They introduced him to two Catholic Koreans who had a very basic knowledge of Christ but had no Bibles to go with. He heard of the existence in Korea of an underground church under the supervision of only 11 priests. They had very limited influence but there was great interest amongst the people to know about Christ and Christianity. At that time, Korea was known as the Hermit Kingdom, apparently. The government, fearful of foreign influence, forbade contacts with Westerners. Mo monuments everywhere warned people to shun foreigners. Distribution of foreign literature, including Bibles, was a crime punishable by death for the person that distributed it and those who received it. Far from deterring Thomas, this challenged and rekindled his missionary spirit, and with the help of the Scottish Bible Society, he obtained a large number of Chinese Bibles and went to distribute them in Korea. And so to cut a long story short, um, he managed to hitch a lift on an American vessel, and it went towards Korea. As they went down a river, every time they stopped, Thomas would get off and preach the good news of Jesus Christ and hand out Bibles to anyone that would take one. As they got closer and closer to Pyongyang, locals told them to turn back. It would be dangerous. You would almost certainly be killed. 
And when they reached the point where they were not supposed to be, the American boat tried to turn around, but sadly the water was not deep enough. The hostile uh, Koreans, intent on stopping them, um, filled their boats with explosives and set them on fire, and the ship that he was on was full of ammunition and therefore exploded. Eyewitness reports, however, uh, say that Robert got off the ship in time and were holding only a white flag and an armful of Bibles went towards shore. He was killed by a Korean soldier. An eyewitness accounts tell of a man who was holding a red book, begging the soldiers to take it just before his execution. This was Robert Thomas, and he is considered to be the first Protestant martyr in Korea. After the attack, several people grabbed Bibles, took them home, and one of them being a, high, a government official named Pak Yong-sik, who used the pages of the Bible to wallpaper his house. And from there, people would read it and read it and read it. And because of that one man's sacrificial act and those Bibles given out at the moment of his death, a revival would take place in Korea. And by 1907, there will be over 100 churches in that country, and it will be the scene of a major revival. And he is honored in that country for his sacrificial act. And that is one of my favorite stories, and you should spend a little time hearing it properly. Um, It's one of my favorite stories because there's a man who wasn't that old, probably younger than me, being brave and sacrificial, giving his life for the cause of God and his kingdom because he'd had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our series, Encountering the Risen Christ. And that encountering of the risen Jesus Christ is so key to us as Christians. It's so key that we get to know him and love him and follow him, that we get to follow the living, resurrected King, that it can and it should transform absolutely everything in us. The last three weeks, we've looked at three in-flesh encounters with Jesus. In those 40 days before he ascended to heaven, And each time we took an emotion that those disciples were feeling, we saw that they felt disappointment, doubt, and resignation last week and how Jesus transformed those when they encountered him alive in the flesh. In the next three weeks, we're going to look at some positive effects of knowing the encountering the risen Lord Jesus. And that one being that when we encounter the risen Jesus, as is our privilege as Christians, we get to have this boldness even in the face of death like Robert Thomas and our friend Stephen the Apostle. So let's come back to uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54 um, to 60, which Pius very kindly read to us a moment or two ago. And if you want to grab a Bible, that's it. now's a good time to do it. This is an amazing story, the story of Stephen's death, Stephen's martyrdom, um, the stoning of Stephen. It's not your typical post-resurrection appearance because we normally focus on the physical, in-flesh meetings with Jesus Of course, he has flesh, but he's now back in heaven. But nevertheless, this is still a resurrection encounter. He encountered the risen Lord Jesus. And it's important because the kind of experience Stephen had is one that we might have, actually, as opposed to those early disciples before the ascension. I won't read the verses again, but I will refer to them as I go through. But a couple of general uh, comments before we start. The first thing I want to say is that Stephen was the ultimate witness For Jesus Christ. He's called a martyr, the martyrdom of Stephen. That word, for the last 20 years, uh, really since 2001, the word martyr has been tarnished. It's become a dangerous word, a word that uh, perhaps suggests violence and fear. But within Christian theology, it's the complete reverse. A martyr is someone who gives their life for the cause of the unsaved and the cause of the coming kingdom of our God. 
The word martyr comes from the Greek word, which simply means witness to the point of death. And it is surely a challenge to all of us who live in comfortable Western countries, who often struggle to witness at the point of life and friendship and family. And our brothers and sisters still witness to the point of death around the world. This story also speaks into what it means to be Christ-like. What does it mean to be Christ-like? You'll note the similarities in Stephen's story in verse, chapter 6, verse 8 to 13, and those at Jesus, the false witnesses, the people encouraged to lie to get him in trouble, the rage of the so-called religious leaders who seem to claim to know truth but laugh at it and attack it when it's spoken over them. His prayers at the end as he lay dying on the floor. He is Christ-like in the manner of his death. Christ-likeness isn't just about character. We say, I want to be more like Jesus. Really? (laughs) Or do we secretly mean, I want to be nice, more well-rounded, happier? That is not what Christ-likeness means in its entirety. To be Christ-like is to be prepared to give your life for the cause of the coming kingdom of God. So, um, the word I've got today is the word victory. So, Stephen, uh, his, his death um, there in Acts chapter 7, the word I want to put with it, a positive word, the word victory. This is a story of victory, and it may not be a word that jumps out to you. You may be thinking, victory? Really? Uh, not really. Surely it's defeat. But Stephen actually was a man of victory, even as he lay dying outside in the streets of Jerusalem. What was he victorious over? Well, he was victorious over four, five things this morning. The first is he was victorious over lies. In verses 8 to 14, in the beginning, we see that they lie about Stephen. They encourage people to come up and say things that aren't true. They lie about Jesus. They lie about Stephen's motives. They lie about God, these religious leaders. They lie about the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 51 to 40, 54, Stephen speaks the truth. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have, now, you have received the law and was given through angels and have not obeyed it. This whole chapter is one of the longest discourses in the book of Acts. They arrest Stephen and others because he's so full of the Holy Spirit and he's performing miracles in the name of Jesus. People are becoming Christians and they hate it, like in the ministry of Jesus. And he just speaks this very long answer to their accusations, taking them through the Old Testament point by point, step by step. He speaks the truth. And how is this a victory over lies, even though he pays the ultimate cost The truth that Stephen speaks pushes back the lies that they speak that would threaten to tarnish the message of life. Stephen dismantles their falsehood in the most direct, brutal way. Truth, in the end, costs him his life. But just look what happens as he gives his life up. Verse 56, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. They have lied about Jesus Christ Ever since his crucifixion, these religious leaders, they threatened to tarnish this wonderful message of hope and life. And Stephen speaks the most wonderful bit of truth ever. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God, taking us back to the book of Daniel and that vision of the Son of Man. 
And it occurs to me that as Christians, our encounter of God on a Sunday morning or in a quiet time or some other place isn't just for us to feel happy and complete and well-rounded. It's actually to empower us to go out into a world that is full of darkness and lies and speak truth despite what the cost may be. The time is coming, I believe, when Christians will be called to decide which side of truth they will sit on. The subjective side, where it is what you want it to be, or the objective side, as it is in the pages of Scripture. Some will pay with their reputations, some will pay with their finances, some will pay with their careers. Maybe some of us will pay in more serious ways as well. But he has victory over lies that they speak, even though it cost him his life. He has victory over reality as well. In verses 54 to 55, I've read this again. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up. Sorry, um, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Just picture that scene. There's Stephen, dragged outside by a baying crowd, religious leaders gone absolutely crazy with rage, shouting, uh, punching, kicking, no doubt, ranting at him. The end was clear. The next significant moment in his life would be death. But Stephen doesn't see the mob, does he? He sees the Messiah. He doesn't see his death He sees his victory. He doesn't see the pain that's coming. He sees his eternity and his redemption, his vindication at the hands of the resurrected King, Jesus himself. And it really just uh, challenges me because often we find ourselves in situations that terrify us or that make us angry or we feel we're unjust and we've got every right to feel that way, the world tells us. And you can't always change the situation you find yourself in. But if you encounter Christ himself, through worship, through prayer, through fellowship with believers and studying his word and all the ways that we're privileged to, you may not be able to change your situation, but you can change your focus on what you see. You don't have to see the thing that's there that's bothering you. You can see the one that conquered death who's above it. Our eyes should be up here. They shouldn't be down here. He has victory not just over lies and reality. He has victory over anger and despair. This is a deeply evil and traumatic moment that Stephen endures. And you'd imagine uh, you would be forgiven for, uh, or you'd forgive Stephen, I should say, if he was to shout back and rage and swear and throw stones. They're about to rip his life from him with rocks hurled in nothing but rage and anger. But yet as he dies, he prays two prayers that echo those of Jesus himself in Luke 23, 34 to 46. He prays, receive my spirit. And then he prays, Father, forgive. He says, let me read those um, to you, those two prayers. I dragged him out, sorry, um, never. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in verse 60, sorry. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We would say, you have every right to shout back and rage back at them because this is unjust. Yet in that moment, even then, as the rocks rain down, Stephen has victory over anger and despair. Even there, he is Christ-like. He prays a confident prayer, Lord, take me home. And then he prays forgiveness over the people that are going to kill him. I wonder if we could ever be the same with those that have ripped the heart from our very chests 
or broken it or betrayed us or hurt us? Could we ever forgive those people who have caused us such grief and harm? The answer is simply no, unless you have first encountered Jesus Christ fully, properly, powerfully. And then finally, Stephen has victory over death. I know that if you're a non-Christian here in that statement, you would think that was the most ridiculous thing that anyone could ever say, because he died. <laughs> but he has victory over death. Verse 60 is almost a throwaway comment. Having prayed that second prayer, do not hold this sin against them. We read this. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Is there a, a more unusual description of someone being stoned to, to death then falling asleep. He was bludgeoned to death. He was murdered. The rocks would have smashed his head open, all sorts of things like that. But from spiritually speaking, for this Christian man who has encountered the living God, that most violent of death is like falling asleep. And I tell you, if nothing gives you more, uh, more joy at getting older and reaching the end of our lives than that verse, nothing will. Because no matter what happens in those final few moments, even if they are traumatic and painful and horrible or lonely, it will be like falling asleep into the everlasting arms of our God and our Father and our King. And also that verse suggests resurrection because if you fall asleep, you wake up. The Christian hope isn't just that we die well, but that we rise again into God's kingdom. And all of these things happen because Stephen encountered and knew the risen Lord Jesus. And so I wonder about us this morning. Um, I wonder how we feel. I wonder what lies have been spoken over you. I wonder what reality you find yourself confronted with that you can't change what you stare at. I wonder if you're struggling with feelings of anger, resentment and despair. Maybe you're fearful of death. Maybe it consumes your thoughts. You worry that the clock ticks and you're coming to the end maybe and you're fearful of what that will encourage, uh, entail. Hopefully none of us are dying anytime soon, but death represents the finality of humanity. We are immortal. We live forever, eternal now in Christ. Everlasting life that started the day you asked him into your life. The death is just a turning of a page the falling asleep in the king's arms. Enjoy that metaphor. Enjoy that reality. And let's pray before we end with a song. Father God, I want to pray your blessing on my friends, Lord, in this room and those watching from home. Lord, I want to thank you that you do encounter us, that, Lord, you do love us, that, Lord, you sent your son not just to a mechanical salvation process, but, Lord, to be with us, to be our friend, our brother, our saviour, our king. Lord, he came, Lord. He came to rescue the lost. He came to bring us home. And, Lord, we can encounter him in the way Stephen did. Give us hearts, Lord, full of the Spirit. And, Lord, may our hearts and eyes desire you, Lord, above all things. Destroy the idols in our lives. And may we focus only on you in Christ alone. Lord, we sing now to end our time together in Jesus' name.